Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 3. We ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But what happened after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. I want to take the time this morning to explain to you the difference between righteousness and holiness because the two are often confused and have created incredible worldliness in our churches today. Chapter 3, verse 3, we see our condition before salvation. We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and serving divers' lusts and pleasures. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, something took place in our hearts at the moment that we trusted Christ as our Savior, not by works of righteousness, which we had done, but according to his mercy. We became righteous. Righteousness is imputed by God the Father, given to a person upon their confession and profession of faith and is something that we inherit. It's a gift of God. Holiness is something we do after salvation. Now, we want to explain the difference in righteousness, which is positional, and holiness, which is progressive, because when it comes to this subject of holiness, very few want to know what the Bible actually teaches. You know, there was a generation, I remember this in my youth, people used to get saved and they'd come to the house of God to learn about what that book right there has to say. People no longer come to the house of God to learn what God's word says. There was a generation that would come to church and you would preach the principles out of that book. And if you preached on soul winning and someone wasn't a soul winner, they would become uncomfortable. If you preached on holy living and that person was drinking or fornicating or committing adultery, that person would become uncomfortable. Not anymore. Now they get mad. They get angry at the preacher because they don't come to hear from God and to see what God's word says. They come to let the preacher know how they feel God's word is no longer the guide. Feelings have become the guide. And when it comes to truth, we need to figure out what God's word has to say on the subject of righteousness and on the subject of holiness because your feelings will confuse you and tell you you can make yourself righteous through good works. That's not what God's word says. God is the only one that can make you righteous. Thank God, at the moment of salvation, I was made righteous. And there's no way over the course of my life that I can make myself righteous before God. How many men are attempting to make themselves appear to be righteous or to make themselves acceptable to God? You cannot make yourself acceptable 
to God through good works. Your only work that makes yourself acceptable is putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that point, you received a free gift of eternal life. You're made righteous in the Father's eyes. Uh, but let me just say this. Thank God the righteousness is inherited, but holiness is not. Wouldn't it be great if at the moment of salvation you were not only made righteous, but holy as well? Oh, all of us as Christians wish that were the case. But there's a daily struggle because we have a flesh. And our flesh is bent towards unholy living. We're constantly dealing with temptations and the old fleshly desires. That's why God gave us a Holy Spirit. And that's why in verses 3 through 7, he speaks of justification. Now, when we're made righteous, is speaking of justification, a right standing before God, where we become blameless in his eyes. That's inward. Now, man cannot always see our righteousness, but God sees it. God sees us as if we were perfect. But it's like that little child. You see these women that give birth to a baby, and the father and the mother, they walk in, and they're smiling, and the father looks over at the mother and says, he's so perfect. You know what that means? He has all of his limbs. His heart is functioning. His lungs are pumping. He's perfect in the sense that in the eyes of mom and dad, he came out all right, although his head's a little misshaped. The face is beat red, and he's ugly as a turnip. Dad says he's perfect. Perfect, although for the next year, that mother will have a year and a half, maybe even two years, have to change that baby's diapers and feed that little baby until it grows and matures and becomes capable of using a bathroom and feeding himself. Guess what? If that child does not grow and at five years old or six years old, they still have to change that baby's, that child's diaper or feed that child by hand, they'll no longer think that child is perfect. There's a problem there, and that child should be growing, and perfection doesn't mean the state of sinlessness, but a continual growth where that child is at the proper stage for his or her age, performing according to how they're supposed to perform. Now, here's what we've done. We've allowed society to dictate to us according to their feelings. Listen, we're so incorporated with this word that they have misconstrued repeatedly called tolerance. They jammed it down our throat and told us that although they're intolerant to anything that comes from God's word, we're supposed to be tolerant. They're wicked and unhealthy and selfish, belligerent perverse lifestyle. We like the thought of being made righteous by faith and that it is a free gift, but we don't like the fact that after that we are supposed to be made holy, progressive steps that help us conform into the very image of the Son of God. That's what He expects out of us, and that's why He gave us the Holy 
Ghost. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5. Let's look at righteousness, being made righteous, which we would call justification. Romans chapter 5, 1 says, therefore being justified by faith. That's being made righteous in the eyes of God. That's positional. Verse 17, for by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace. Now look what it says. Of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Don't you like the fact that righteousness is a gift? Verse 18, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by righteousness, the righteousness of one, the free gift. What free gift? Christ on Calvary set aside his righteousness, offering to us the free gift of righteousness. Now, if you're in here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. If you've never understood that your condition without God is unrighteous, it doesn't matter what your past is, what you have done or what you have not done. If you were born into this world, you were born with a sin nature, and God looks at you as unrighteous, and the only thing that will change that is when you fall down on your knees before a holy and righteous God, admitting your condition and trusting Christ as your righteousness. At that point, you're made righteous. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Boy, it does my heart good that he has made our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. I would hate to have that responsibility. And that's why man feels so uncomfortable in religion and with religion because most churches and most religions will tell man, you have to create your own righteousness and at some point that has to be good enough that it becomes acceptable to God. Your righteousness will never be acceptable to God because the Bible says our righteousness are as filthy rags, never acceptable to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Christ was made sin for us. Who knew no sin? Why was he made sin? Why did he take on himself our unrighteousness that we might be made the righteousness of God in him? Now, here's what's so incredible. The moment that I trusted Christ as my Savior, God looks at me as if I were as righteous as his son. With all my faults, with all my failures, with all my defects, with all my sin, with all my past problems, God still sees me as being righteous. Now, hold on for a second. He doesn't always see me as being holy. Inside, I've been purified, justified, sanctified, made right. My standing before him is righteous. That's inward. Now let's talk about the outward. Because as much as this society, even Baptists and independent Baptists don't want to admit it, holiness deals with the outward. 
He says we're supposed to be faithful and constantly affirm that as Christians, we are supposed to be living in a good and godly manner. While we're here, right here in 2 Corinthians, let's see what it says in chapter 7, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. This is after salvation. He's speaking to Christians that are righteous in their standing before God. But that's positional. Holiness is progressive. It's daily. It's a choice that has to be made. It's works. It's working out what has already happened inwardly. Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now, here's what he did. He cleansed your soul, but uh, you're going to live the rest of your life with the command to cleanse yourself of the filthiness of your flesh and spirit. How many of you ever realized, despite being saved, born again, despite becoming a child of God, you're still dealing with the filthiness of flesh and spirit? Amen. And even though you deal with the filthiness of the flesh, then you deal with your spirit perfecting, what's the command? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now go with me to 2 Peter. Let's look at an example this morning. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture, but that's why we come to the house of God. We come to know the mind of God. We can only do that through the word of God. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them example unto those that after should live godly. Verse 8, for the righteous man. Now, who is this talking about? Lot. How in the world could you confuse righteousness and holiness based on this passage alone? You know the story of Lot. You know he was living in Sodom. You know about his lifestyle. And God calls him what? Because there's a difference between righteous and holy. And he was righteous because he was a child of God. He was made righteous by faith. His position before God was right, but there was a problem. He was not holy before man. He was not holy in his living or his choice of living. So that righteous man dwelling among them, seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous, what? So what was righteous? His soul was righteous. His position before God was right. He was justified, and it vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful, deeds. Now, look with me in 1 Peter 1.14. This is holiness. Lot was righteous, absolutely, by faith. Holy, absolutely not. That includes works. This generation must not have read any of John's writings because they say it's all about love. It's not about works. That would make you a hypocrite. Works don't make you a hypocrite. 
Christ still said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Love always includes work. I can't imagine what my wife would have said to me if after 10 days of having said our wedding vows, I would have looked at her and said, babe, I'm so glad that love doesn't include works. When I said I love you, that was a feeling. That was an emotion. But it doesn't include me paying the rent or staying faithful or bringing you flowers because love doesn't include works. It's funny that that doesn't work in marriage, but it's supposed to work with our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy, what? In all manner of conversation, in all of your living, be ye holy. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I uh, am a holy. Now go back with me. Keep your finger in Romans because we have a very important verse there to read in Romans 12. Let's go back and look at the life of Lot for just a moment. Now, here's what you have to understand. Both of these, both righteousness and holiness, have a reward. What is the reward for being made righteous? Heaven. Aren't you glad you trusted Christ as your Savior? You were made righteous and you received the righteousness of Christ. So what is your destiny because of that? Heaven. Now, if you are not made righteous, what is the consequence? Hell. If you live your life trying to establish your own righteousness, and Paul said this in Romans 10, verse 3, that his problem was Israel, the Jews, were going about to establish their own righteousness not having submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And that's most religion today. Man trying to establish his own righteousness and not submitting himself to the righteousness of God. So the reward of being made righteous through Christ by faith is heaven. The consequence for rejecting Christ's righteousness and trying to work and earn your way to heaven, the consequence is hell. Now let me ask you this. What's the reward of holiness? A taste of heaven upon the earth. You know, people say, Pastor, you know, here's, here's what I believe about drinking. Here's what I believe about smoking. Here, first of all, you're basing it on a feeling. Let's ask what God's word says. But did you know whether or not I was saved? Most of those things I wouldn't do anyways. I don't want lung cancer. Do you know how many crimes are committed by someone under the influence of alcohol? Have you ever seen pictures before and after what happens to a person after a year of doing meth? There are consequences that I don't want to suffer. So holiness means I get a taste of heaven upon the earth, and unholiness means I get a taste of hell upon the earth. Now let's see that in the life of Lot, Genesis chapter 19. But let's read, uh, before we read Genesis 19, Let's read Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, if you've been born again, God says, I want a gift. I gave you a gift, a gift called eternal life. Now, I want an exchange of gifts, and the gift I want you to give me is to present your body a 
living sacrifice. Holy. What's the first word on the list? Holy. Not righteous. You were made righteous of salvation. But holy. Now we are supposed to be holy. And what is holy? What is holiness? That is being acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. That's not unreasonable to ask of the Christian to be holy. Now, here's where it gets difficult. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Now go back to Genesis. The same man that God says was righteous, that was his standing before God, that was positional, will see lived a very unholy life and paid a very high price for his ungodliness. Verse 1, there came two angels to Sodom, even at even. Lot sat in the gate of a very wicked culture, a very defiling city. The angels come, he asked them to stay at his house. They refused because of the wickedness that is pervading this city. Now look what it says in verse 7. He says unto the homosexuals who want to rape, physically rape the angels sent from heaven. He says to them in verse 7, I pray you what? What has he done? He has conformed himself to this world. He has conformed himself to their way of thinking. Verse 8. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and you do ye to them as is good in your eyes. He is so conformed to the world and the world's philosophy in which he was living, he not only called the homosexuals his brethren, but he said, you can take my daughters and rape them instead of raping the angels. How could a Christian stoop to that point? A daily conforming to this world. Now here is holiness. And we're going to park here for a little bit. Here's what God says holiness is. Be not conformed to this world. Now let's attack this at the roots. Why is holiness so hard? Deep inside of us, there's something innate in our nature that constantly strives to conform and fit in. Think about it. Anywhere you go, why don't you wear a suit to the mall? Why don't you wear a suit to the football game? Why do you spend $75 on a jersey? Because no matter where you go, you want to conform. Why is it so difficult to pass out a track to someone you most likely will never, ever again in your lifetime see? Because it's even hard to conform for five seconds at a time. Hold on for a second. Young people, just to prove what I'm saying is true, why don't you go home today and ask your parents to pull out their high school yearbook? Ask them about that hairdo they had that was this big. The fluff and puff of the 80s. How many ever looked at picture books and said, that's the 70s, that's the 80s, that's the 90s? 
You know why? Even as a Christian, we are conforming. You say, if, if I asked you, let's for one month redo the poofy hair, you'd say, preacher, I wouldn't be caught dead. You know why? Because although you're a Christian, it's still deep inside your nature to conform. You don't want to stick out. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Why is it so difficult to be transformed and so easy to conform to this world? I want you to think about kids in a Christian environment. They grow up in a Christian home. They go to a Christian school. They're surrounded by Christian ministries that they're constantly participating in and still struggle with reading their Bible, walking with God, living the Christian life. Now think about this. What hope do they have of spiritual survival if they're going to graduate, go into a work environment where it's innate in them to conform, and every day their dress is being mocked. You don't wear miniskirts? You don't go out on Friday nights? You've never been to 6th Street? Every TV show you watch is telling you how you are supposed to dress. No wonder kids feel so awkward going to the mall. Christian kids, because they watch TV and watch what people wear, and they say, that's not what I wear. Isn't it amazing that we allow malls and Dillard's and JCPenney and Gap to tell us what the standard is? Ladies, you want to know why you don't shop at Goodwill? Because that is yesterday's standard. You remember the shoes from 10 years ago? You don't want to wear those. You want the new style because the new style helps you fit in to a society you don't even agree with. So if you're 45 years and you've already gone through that battle, what do you expect or how do you expect a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old to adapt when they go straight from a Christian environment out there to a worldly environment a, a world that is past feeling, a world that's never seen or read a Bible, that's never been preached to, a world that at 13 or 14 lost their purity, a world that has seen, tasted, and touched everything imaginable under the sun, then your pure little 19-year-old steps into that pressure cooker and you expect them to succeed, it's innate. And suddenly they're changing their hairstyle or even their hair color. You know why? Because at the Christian school, everyone had dresses on and everyone looked the same, dressed the same, and no one had spiked hair or purple bangs or black fingernails or 36 facial piercings but now at work that's normal so now they are not normal and you're not going to drink with us what's the problem don't you know that Jesus turned favorite passage in all the Bible Jesus turned the water into wine why don't you try this sometime the next person mentions the next person that mentions that Jesus turned water into wine say you know what I got a Bible right here why don't you find that for me 
That's the only passage they know. They don't know where it's at. And why, why don't you say this? Yeah, I'm going to be biblical about drinking this. I'll drink any wine that comes from water. Now, let me just say this. To be really biblical, I want to follow on Christ's step. Christ didn't drink it. The disciples didn't drink it. Now, let's not even touch on whether or not that was wine. Let's just talk on what's biblical. Christ never drank it. The disciples didn't drink it. The pressure is difficult, and you have kids that haven't even established their own beliefs, their own doctrine. They're not firm, but they're put out there in a society, and inside, none of us want to feel out of place. None of us want to feel awkward. You know why when you went to the doctor this week, you didn't wear camouflage pants? Because you don't live in southern Illinois. If I'm in southern Illinois and I get sick, I go to Walmart, I buy myself a pair of camouflage pants, and I go to the doctor so that I can fit in. Listen, some of you have suits in the back of your closet that you paid money for, but you'd never wear again, unless your name's Dave Morrell. Dave has worn his suits for 40 years, and he says at some point they're going to be back in style again. He's right. He has ties that every 20 years they're back in style. But you know what? I don't think I want a shirt with 10-inch collars. I've never been tempted to wear a baby blue suit. Bright plaid. But you know what? At some point, that was in style. Be careful. Because I'm convinced Brother Dave is a much greater Christian than I am because he is totally unconcerned about conforming to this world. And if you talk to your teenagers, they want Nike shoes today because that is what the world's wearing. And now they want the Air Apostle shirts. You know why? You say, Pastor, is that modest or immodest? That's not the point. The point is, I'm trying to get you to understand that it's innate within your child to seek to be conformed to this world. And God says, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Uh, here's what your feelings, your emotions will do. It'll get you to conform to this world. God says this book will transform you. So although you were made righteous, you were not made holy. That's a choice. You've got to obey a Bible command. And we find ourselves in the same position that Lot found himself in. He went to Sodom righteous. He was taken out, raptured out, righteous in God's eyes. Unholy in his behavior. Went to heaven. Well, the rest of the city went to hell. How did that happen when their behavior was very similar? Because that righteous man vexed his soul hearing and seeing. And you know what we have? Every day we're being vexed by the filthiness of this world. But be careful. Because with age, normally we get past fitting in. With time... You laugh when someone brings you a fresh bottle of Rogaine. You say, you might as well give that to Brother Tony because I won't use it. 
Not because bald is beautiful, but because I don't care anymore. I don't need to fit in. In our heart, we want to be conformed to this world because we have to step out and walk through. And it's difficult when they're looking at you, making you feel awkward. Don't tell me about righteousness and holiness being the same thing. You're made righteous. But holiness is a question you'll have to answer, a decision you'll have to make. And you'll have to say, am I being conformed or transformed? And when it's deep in your heart to be conformed, you are worldly. And when you are transformed, now let me ask you this. How in the world can we be transformed when you go out and you work in the world all day on Monday, all day on Tuesday, all day on Wednesday, all day on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and then you're hearing the propaganda, you're watching the TV, you're listening to the music, you're surrounded by their conversations, you're bombarded by their attacks. It doesn't matter if you're 102 or 22, you're going to be bombarded by those attacks. So as you're being attacked, what's racing through your mind? At some point, you want relief. At some point, you're saying, well, pastor, that's easy for you to say because you come to a church environment, you come to a Christian school, you come to college, and everyone's dressed right and talking right and acting right. But what about me? I'm on an island on Monday. I'm on an island on Tuesday. And the pressure is much greater, especially on our youth, because the older you get, when hair begins to grow out of your ears faster than it grows on your head, you start to care less about what people think and about what people say. But watch, watch young men in this generation as they comb it flat, stick it up in the front, spike it sideways, leave it long on one side, grow it long in the back. You say, what's up with them? They can't make a decision. No, society is telling them how to comb their hair. I'm going to point, I'm not going to let society dictate to me how I comb my hair. I'm not trying to be out of style. But there's very little desire in my heart to conform to a world that keeps getting further and further away from God. I've never been tempted to go to Goodwill and buy my ties. I don't like that style either. It's a little way too old, a little too thick, a little too short. Now, let me ask you this. You're either being conformed to this world, even as a Christian, you're being transformed. Now, how are we transformed? By the renewing of your mind. And here's where we're getting ourselves in trouble. We're not having a daily renewal of the mind. So every day we're being barraged to conform, conform, conform. This is where our young people are falling apart. This is where they're going astray. They can't handle the pressure. They can't handle the stress. And this is why we see even kids coming out of the Christian school that they cannot handle that constant pressure to conform. And they cave. A year later, two years later, straight out of the Christian school, they look like the world, they talk like the world, they walk like the world, they run with the world, they act like the world because the world said conform and they did. God says holiness is being transformed. You do that by the renewing of your mind. Now, how do we renew our mind? Through that book, through the word of God. 
We are teaching our children that the most important thing in your life is your feelings. I need to be transformed. I can only be transformed by the word of God. But now we have parents who are catering to the emotions of their child, not showing their child or not showing their children what the Bible says in the right way. This is why we do this, because the Bible is our guide. The Bible gives us our direction. The Word of God is our GPS. So it doesn't matter what our decision is. It doesn't matter what our feelings are. We've always got to go back to the Word of God. So what does the Word of God say about this kind of music? What does the Word of God say about this kind of activity? What's the Word of God say about this kind of habit? What's the Word of God say? People don't even come to the church anymore to figure out what the Word of God says. They come to see, do I feel what? Comfortable. You won't feel comfortable in a Bible preaching church where the Holy Spirit is active in your life. He'll make you feel uncomfortable because he wants to transform you to the image of his dear son. Now, folks, the closer we get to the rapture, the less people are going to like this. And you've been so influenced by culture, you too have put emotions on the throne. You become angry at your pastor. Become angry at a rule. Become angry at an environment that doesn't allow you to conform yourself to this world. Well, God doesn't require holiness. Absolutely. He requires righteousness to get into heaven, holiness to have a taste of heaven upon this earth. 